Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. Today we have one of our non-traditional episodes. So, uh, well, actually it is, I guess it's a little traditional and a little non-traditional. We're chatting with Scott Hansen, who's the founder of Professional Chats. And so we talk a little bit about Professional Chats, but that that's not what Scott is doing today. He's also the principal at Black Bison Group, where he's doing some coaching, consulting, investments, specifically looking at B2B hybrid software services companies. Super interesting conversation. We range from what makes a good investment in his mind to the future of kind of that B2B hybrid software services space to his background experience, building, growing, and selling professional chats. A bit of a wide-ranging conversation for what we normally do here on the podcast, but uh, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed getting to know Scott. Find Scott online. Please drop him a note and say thank you for coming on the podcast. That would mean a lot in terms of helping thank him for his time and getting the word out for what we're doing here at Startup Competitors. And thank you so much for listening. If you happen to be looking for a way to ignite your brand, spark some sales, or maybe just fire up your team, branded merchandise might be the way to do that. You can learn more about different items that are available to put your logo on at fuelmerchandise.com. It can be simple startup swag, corporate gifts, anything you're looking for. You can find it at fuelmerchandise.com. Mention startup competitors, get 10% off your first order. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Scott Hansen, who is the principal at Black Bison Group. Scott, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Why don't we start with a quick overview of what you're doing with the Black Bison Group? Sure. So Black Bison Group is, uh, it's really a holding company where I do a variety of different things. I own an IT company here in Kansas City and also making a variety of direct investments in businesses across the country, really focusing on B2B hybrid software service companies, forward-thinking digital agencies. Uh, We also have software companies specific uh, to niche medical or associated medical spaces. And then just from my previous experience in running businesses like that, I also have a small subset of uh, coaching clients that I that I work with. So, so that seems very eclectic. Uh, <laughs> let's maybe rewind a sure. little bit. And yeah. how did you get here? So I, I know you're also the founder of Professional Chats. Why don't you why don't you maybe share some of that story? Yeah, so I'll even step before that. So I, when I graduated from school, uh, my mom is an orthodontist, and I grew up, you know, really in that world. A lot of my childhood was spent in the office. It's a family business, and when I graduated from school, I did all the pre dental requirements and took the DAT, and I was set up to go to dental school. Uh, but I met my wife in college, which is about seven hours away from Kansas City. I went to a little liberal arts college called St. Olaf. And when I met her, she was a year behind me in school. So I decided to defer dental school for a year and go and just work in the practice, which I thought would give me some relevant experience. Um, kind of the plan was for me to come back and work with uh, work with the family. And during that year, I learned that I really did not like clinical dentistry very much. And uh, so I really didn't know what I was going to do. But I've always had a passion for sales and marketing and service. And 
my mom was, she was fairly burnt out and she had a very average orthodontic practice. I mean, it was a phenomenal practice, but in terms of, if you looked at it across the spectrum, you know, one doctor practice, full-time practice, but it had been flat for about 10 years. And, um, I think she wanted to do some different things. And so I said, you know, what would it look like if, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but what would it look like if I just ran the operations here, you focused on straightening teeth and loving on patients and I did everything else. And she agreed to that. And so as a green 21 year old or however old I was, I was running our practice and uh, long story short, we tripled the size of it in three years and sold it to a private equity firm. Holy cow. This rolling uh, dental practices up or orthodontic practices up. And that was a phenomenal experience. Uh, you know, I got to make mistakes on her dime, but we had some just de facto trust uh, that she knew that, you know, I would be judicious in my decision making. And so I got, I got just a great opportunity to learn about business and deal with the consequences myself. And so, you know, I, you know, I'm a firm believer that you play the hand that you got dealt and I got dealt a great hand. Um, but I really tried to play that the best that I could. And while we were growing the practice, we kept looking for innovative ways that we could get in front of patients or, or in our case, patients, moms faster, uh, because we wanted to lower the sales friction as much as possible and get them in and get braces or aligners started, uh, on their kids or themselves as quick as we could. And we were looking at other, other industries and what they were doing. We benchmarked against other industries like eye care. Uh, for instance, there were a lot larger LASIK businesses that focused on LASIK, which is very similar sales process to, to selling braces or aligners. And they were using online chat and some different things. And so we were like, you know, online chat seems to make a lot of sense. We got moms that are putting their kids to bed at nine o'clock and that's when they're jumping on uh, our websites to figure out where they're going to schedule an appointment for their kid to get orthodontics. And we installed some software on our website and started managing it ourselves. And it became very apparent that it was a successful strategy. So I went to immediately go look for a HIPAA compliant solution for us, kind of a done for you solution. So we could put it on there and 24 hours a day, we would have someone answering mom's questions, scheduling them for appointments and just overall making it easy for us to develop a relationship with that person earlier. Because, you know, at the end of the day, people do not jump on uh, an orthodontist website for fun. Like they're there for a specific right. purpose. Like, you know, when we went to go look for companies to do this for us, we really couldn't find any good, you know, there were a ton of, there's a ton of outsourced chat companies, but most of them are outsourced to the Philippines or to Pakistan or India. And, for us, developing the relationship and developing the trust was the most important piece. Because just like if you're buying, you know, if you're hiring a plumber to come out to your house, if you're not an expert in plumbing, you have no idea if they do a good job or a bad job. You're really relying on the trust of the provider. It's the same way in orthodontics. You don't know if you've got a good orthodontist or a bad one. All you know is that you like them or you don't, or you trust them or you don't. And so we needed people to be really good at developing the relationship and really carrying the trust that we've built in our brand through those conversations. And it's really hard to do when you have someone with English as a second language um, to really produce that feeling of trust uh, over chat. It's very easy for transactional 
interactions, but very difficult for value building, trust building conversations. And so uh, when I couldn't find it uh, myself, uh, I figured, you know, I, I'm fairly savvy on the internet. And if I can't find this, and if nobody else is doing this, it seemed like a great opportunity to hire a guy and do it for ourselves and see if I could find some other some other practices that were interested in in me just managing the process for them because I knew that there wasn't enough work for one person even for a whole day. And so I called up a few other doctors and we I said I told them what I was doing. I we put the guy in the private office that we had in our practice and uh, we started with four or five clients and by the end of the first year we had I don't know probably 150 clients and you know 10 10 employees. And by the end of two and a half years, we had about a thousand orthodontists and a thousand residential service companies, and then a smattering of other companies in different verticals and 150 employees. Uh, and then we exited to Ruby receptionists in 2000, at the end of 2018. So that was really what led me to what I'm doing now with the hybrid uh, B2B software and service companies, because that's at the foundation. That's what professional chats ended up being. Um, so that's really kind of where this led me to, uh, to Black Bison Group. Let's add a little bit more color to B2B hybrid software service companies. And I, I don't know if the best way to do that is for you to describe maybe a, a little bit of some of the key characteristics of those companies, or maybe go the other way and maybe share some examples of, of sure. those companies from your portfolio, What whatever you think is best. Sure. I think probably the best way to describe it is our experience with professional chats, which is what kind of opened my opened my eyes to this hybrid model. So, you know, you for the most part, when I started professional chats, I kind of looked at two different um, two different paths we could take. We could go the path of chatbots, which um, is a pure software play, or we could go the way of pure service, which is just hiring people in a call center and, or a receptionist center and having them answer personally, every single message. What I didn't consider is as we grew, um, and we kind of got our foothold in the orthodontic industry, but as you can imagine, there's only about, I don't know, 10 or 11,000 orthodontists out there, there's a lot of Smith orthodontics. And when we were growing and we had several hundred orthodontic clients, we got to the point where our home-built CRM returned Smith orthodontics and we would be chatting for a company in Sacramento and in Portland, there would be another Smith orthodontics. We'd pull up the wrong one and give them the directions to the wrong office, which is a huge problem. <laughs> um, and this only happened a couple of times, but you can imagine that when it did yeah. happen, we were like, okay, this is a business ender. Like if this, if, if we can't solve this problem, we are totally screwed. And so that's when I started thinking about developing software to help us solve this problem in our service business. And we ultimately developed software that is a bolt on to, uh, existing chat platforms that allows agents to not only be more efficient in their work, but also make sure that they're returning exactly the right information at the exact time that they need it. And so we were able to leverage the service side of the business and the relationship side of the business, but also build software on top of it to help them do their jobs better. Uh, and I think that there's obviously a tremendous amount of focus in the pure software businesses. But I think that there's less focus paid to how software can influence 
or produce better results for a service business. And so that's really what created a lot of the underlying value. A lot of our underlying enterprise value was the creation of that software because any business that wanted to provide personalized online chat service at scale needed a software like we built. And that's ultimately, you know, what piqued Ruby's interest and why they ended up making the acquisition because they wanted to provide that outstanding experience for customers uh, over text or over chat. But they had to make sure that uh, it was not only efficient and profitable, but also that it was right every single time. So um, that really, it changed my perspective on, you know, how to create value in a business. And just based upon that experience, uh, I realized that there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for software and service to marry together. Uh, You don't necessarily have to have a pure software business to create tremendous enterprise value. Got it. Love it. So the company, well, maybe a backup, how many companies, if you're willing to share that, have you invested in in that space over the last year and a half? Uh, so just a handful. So three or four. I, I really try to uh, make sure that the investments are very focused and right in my wheelhouse. Um, obviously, I care a lot about the founder and the founder's vision. So when I make an investment, I'm not looking to change what they're doing, but more to help open their eyes to what it could be with a better technology backbone and how to create more scalable processes with software. And do you have any other kind of hard and fast criteria or roughly hard and fast criteria you look for when you're looking to evaluate deals or make that investment? Sure. So um, I think the main thing is I want a high energy, high integrity and intelligent founder or business owner. Uh, I think those are the three main categories that, uh, you know, that that's a threshold standard for me. So if they don't, if they don't check the box in all three of those categories, I pass. Uh, and that's a lot of them, frankly. Uh, and so when, you know, when I'm looking at deals, if I don't think that the person has the passion or the motivation to really put in the time to make it successful, um, that's a pass for me. And, you know, the integrity is a huge piece. So doing reference checks and really getting a good understanding of who the person is before, you know, I commit to spending time with them, uh, helping them grow their business. So out of those three, energy, integrity, intelligence, certainly in integrity to me is is probably the most interesting to ferret out mm-hmm. so i i like the idea of reference checks what are if this could actually be a fun question in either direction both examples where they've gone off the rails quickly and you're, you're like oh yep we're done <laughs> or or vice versa how do you what like what's the process you go through to really ferret that out to see if they're going to be a good fit you know that's probably the toughest one Um, especially if they are founders that I don't have familiarity with. I've been fortunate in that I, a lot of these, uh, or the companies that I've invested in, I've developed relationships with the founders. And so that makes that process a lot easier. The reference checks are obviously important, but you can, you know, they're, previous business dealings um, are a very good signal for what's going to happen in the future. And, you know, ultimately, I want to be working with people that I like working with. 
I, that's one of the fortunate things about, you know, working really hard and having an exit like I did. Um, I get to just work with the people that I want to work with. And so I think a lot of time is spent just developing the relationship and seeing who the people are. So I, it's kind of a vague answer, but uh, some of it's intuition. And, you know, I've also found that people who signal integrity more are typically people with lower integrity. You got to put your money where your mouth is. And if they've shown that they do that over and over, um, there's pretty good indication that they're going to do that in the future. Got it. Any size requirements you're looking for for those companies, like a minimum revenue threshold or anything like that? You know, typically I'm looking at businesses with a million plus in. EBITDA or businesses that have that are kind of right in the wheelhouse that I've worked in in the past where um, I can see the potential for growth. So, um, you know, I have a couple of investments with companies that don't have any EBITDA, but they have significant potential in the market. But also, like right now, I'm looking at a digital agency that has an awesome opportunity to leverage software to make their processes more efficient and deliver even better services. And that company has significantly more profitability than, than other companies I've invested in. So it really is kind of, it's kind of a deal by deal. And that's one nice thing about being on my own, making these decisions is I don't have investors that I'm answering to or an investment thesis that I have to be very rigid about. Right. How, uh, interesting. How do you source deals? Really by way of uh, my network. So different private equity groups that pass on firms that are maybe too small or just having conversations with uh, other investors that are uh, working on deals. Um, so I don't have an elaborate or consistent way that I'm sourcing deals. I'm sure that over time that will develop. But right now it's um, word of mouth and just being deliberate about communicating that to my network of what I'm looking for. Got it. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. Talk a little bit about where you see this space going and evolving in the future. So, you know, it feels like you got started through kind of that how do we how do we build a smarter better chatbot right and that kind of then driving you down a path of you know adding human intelligence to you know quick automated response what new technologies do you see coming down the road or advances in ai data science that you feel like are going to change the game in this space in the future yeah what's interesting is we so even through the last day and still Ruby receptionists, all of the responses like there is no automated responses and really I think that this this can kind of color my perspective on how these businesses work so I think for 
tech guys, it's really hard to understand why you would choose to have people actually type back and forth the responses because it's significantly more expensive than having software do it. But with the industries that I'm working in, or when we started in orthodontics, and like I said, we had a bunch of home service companies as well. These are very high ticket sales. And they are almost completely based on the relationship that the company has with the customer, not necessarily based on actual expertise. And so when you have a conversation with with someone who wants to buy a whole home system, they need a, a heater and AC replace, you know, you might be looking at 20, 30 grand for a conversation or for the value of the conversation. Now, if you have a chatbot doing that, the likelihood of success goes down because the person does not, they have a less of a commitment level when they're interacting with that bot as they do with a person and there's no relationship being built. And so we did not use the software to tell the agents what to say. We use the software to make sure that all of the information was there for the agents and all of the tools were there so that when they were crafting their responses, they crafted responses that helped build trust. And it's a totally different way to look at a chat business, but Ruby has carried that forward. I mean, Ruby is an exceptional company. Um, They're based out of Portland. They have about 600 employees. And previous to uh, acquiring professional chats, they had virtual receptionists that did work uh, over the phones. So they're people that, you know, they have a lot of legal clients and they have I think they have thousands of clients in different industries, but they really specialized in creating the personal connection of the person over the phone to the prospect uh, and building the brand of their client. And that's really what our focus was with professional chats, which is why it was such a natural marriage. And they have done the exact same thing. And they, I think Ruby's been around for 30 years, but they started as a, virtual reception service. And over time, they use software to help make their receptionist centers a lot more efficient and give their receptionist tools to provide even better service than the people who are answering the phones in the office can provide. And that's really what we tried to do with the chat business. And so they had not offered online chat in the past, uh, which is why they decided to acquire professional chats because there was so much crossover in the way we looked at the business. Uh, We did not look at the business in terms of how can we replace the human interaction with software. Instead, we looked at the business as how can we make the human interaction and build trust with customers better with technology. So really putting an exclamation point on the experience that customers want to have instead of replacing that experience with technology. And, you know, I think that there's, there's a tremendous amount of competition in the space to do deals for pure technology companies that are viewed as very disruptive, but for these particular industries, I mean, lawyers are a great example, the customer value, you know, a legal client or, you know, there's tons of audiology client, The customers are worth so much that the marginal benefit that you get from having a real person do it as opposed to software do it creates an outsized ROI because the the margins are so good in that space. So if you get, you know, let's say a... uh, 
an orthodontist puts chat on their website and you're measuring the difference between what a chatbot can do and what a human can do. And an orthodontist gets 10 patients, 10 new patients uh, in a month for their small orthodontic practice as a with humans, as opposed to let's say six patients a month with a bot, even if they're paying three or four times more for the human to do it um, because they have to, because there's a lot more cost associated with that. Those four extra patients are worth 20, 25 grand uh, of additional revenue for the practice. And a lot of these practices have, you know, 40, 50% margins. And so that's a significantly higher ROI, even though you're paying more. But obviously as the chat service provider or the service provider uh, to these uh, business clients, it, it makes a lot more sense to provide them a service that creates more business for them and isn't necessarily trying to drive down the price for the service. Um, the price for the service is um, having a cheaper service produces a lower lower ROI uh, in some cases. And that's really the opportunity that I'm looking for is where are technology companies trying to disrupt the space, but they're trying to do it in the wrong way because they don't understand the space well enough. They don't understand the customer values well enough. So in those deals that you are involved in, are, are those technology companies and you're, you're bringing in that expertise for how to, how to scale in this more interesting way, or are they more like agencies and you're, you're trying to help them understand how they can use technology to scale? Yeah. So it's interesting. So like I said, I only have a handful of deals at this point, but uh, they actually go on both ends of the spectrum. So it really, and that's, this is where the relationship to the founder matters because I'm not trying to come in and revolutionize their business. Um, that never works uh, because founders are, they're passionate people who want to do what they want to do. But, you know, in, in one case, you have a service business that doesn't understand the importance of, of the relationship with the customer, and you can kind of add that to the equation. Um, and in other cases, like you said, with the digital agency, you have almost a pure service business. But if you can leverage technology better to help acquire clients faster, help keep them happier, help lock down a deal uh, with technology... I've, I go that way as well. And so really it is figuring out where the bullseye is between the software and the service and aiming for that and not just thinking about your business as a pure service business or a pure software business. And I say all that knowing that there is a very specific application for this. This is not uh, an application that you can use in every kind of business, but particularly with uh, businesses that rely on high trust that have, you know, very valuable customers. And, you know, we're looking a lot of times in the B2C space. So, you know, these are B2B businesses that I'm investing in. So they're businesses that provide service to, to these businesses, but really we're focused on helping them drive their B2C sales uh, and B2C margins. And so, um, having a really great understanding of these companies in the medical or associated medical space and how they operate and what's important to them, I think is a, is a big differentiator. I'm, I'm trying to think through some of those other verticals where this makes sense. I, I kind of liked what you said there about it. It's high trust. It's probably good margins behind the scenes. So healthcare, legal, you identified both of those. What are some of the other verticals where you see this? 
potentially being a great fit? Yeah. So residential services, basically anything where you're hiring someone for more than $2,000 to come out and do service work for you, where they're doing work that you don't necessarily understand if they're doing a good job or a bad job. Um, so, I mean, there's a ton of those, like uh, hearing aids, for instance, you can go to uh, an audiologist or a hearing aid dispenser. You don't really know because you're not going to go and buy five different hearing aids from five different businesses. You don't know which one's going to be the best. And when you get it, you can hear better than you did before, but you're not sure if you got the best fitting that you could. Um, But, you know, a lot of times it's a five or $6,000 purchase. And so there are a number of industries that fall under that. Or if you look at recurring customer value of chiropractors and dentists, um, you know, cosmetic dentists who do implants and prosthetic dentistry and, I mean, there, there are a lot of industries that kind of fit this mold of uh, the need to be high trust um, that also have high customer value. How, how long do you see yourself doing this? Because you, you're still pretty young. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that off the bat for these investments, I have a much more active role. But I think over time, I won't have that same active role. And so I'm really excited for maybe finding the next thing and founding another company. I, I just had an absolute blast. I mean, going from one to 150 employees in two and a half years, you deal with a lot of stuff all in a very short amount of time that, you know, those are really valuable. That's really valuable education for the future. And, uh, you know, I would love to put that to use again. So, uh, we'll see. Did you raise outside capital for professional chats? Actually, I raised 40 grand to get the business going. And that was the only money we ever raised. We were profitable after, I think, five months. And we used our own cash flow to grow the business. So we never, we actually did it without debt as well. So we had no additional financing uh, equity or debt uh, as we grew. So, that, I mean, that was another challenge, just managing cash flow and figuring out how to price for growth so that we could use, you know, our own revenue for the sales and the marketing. So that that's interesting. How, how do you, so just philosophy in this space in general, how do you think about pricing? Because you're, you're right. You're obviously more valuable than a chatbot, and you're arguably less valuable than a full-time human. Are you though? You're probably more valuable than a full-time human, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're more valuable than a full-time human because we have specialized knowledge on how to deal with these conversations. I think, I think a big part is we just had a very different philosophy for how we sold customers than a traditional software company. A traditional software company would come in and, you know, they'd have a two, two week free trial or month free trial and then try to sign the customers up on the back end and they'd make it very easy for someone to commit to that first step. But after you get person committed to the first step, to transition them and get them committed to the second step, which is the most important. And that is, you know, a long-term recurring customer is more difficult. And so we decided to turn that model on its head and we said, okay, it's actually going to be really expensive for someone to start. And we're going to focus on selling, selling the value of the service. And if it's expensive for people to start, we didn't have a contract, but if it's expensive for people to start, they're likely not going to quit. Um, And it gives us the runway to show them really what we can do. And so we had a startup fee for every single client and that startup fee, it was designed to decrease churn uh, for our customers and give us time to show value. But it also was 
revenue that we could use upfront with those clients to con- like continue fueling the sales and marketing engine. So, you know, one of the things that's interesting, at least in my mind, is you when you said the types of companies that you're looking at, that million dollars in EBITDA or, or you know, some some other growth factor that would to to me say it's it's not like a super early stage company. One of the nice things about what you're doing is you you're you're building on top of you know a platform, right? Like they they either know an industry real well, they know a customer base real well. Like you, you've got something that you can step into, whether it's maybe it's all humans and you're adding technology. That that's great, right? Because they they have all the knowledge in house. Or you know if if it's the other way where it's technology and you're teaching them how to better leverage humans to to get that to maybe scale in a different way than they typically think about it. Again, they, they have this kind of platform already there. How do you think about this from a cold start problem? So if I'm launching a startup today and, and I want to do something like this, or I want to start thinking about my startup in this way, but I don't, I don't, you know, I'm still building out the MVP and I don't really have hundreds of clients. Like, How do I start to think about this in a way that's going to position me well in the future? Man, that's a great question. I think the most important thing for founders to consider is that they, if they do have an MVP and they don't have very many customers, if they don't have an MVP, obviously that's step one. But if they have an MVP that works, the first step is getting sales. You have to get people to use it and give you feedback and get traction as fast as you can. And depending on how you price or, you know, if you're, if it's a well-funded organization, you know, you have to get traction as fast as you can. And then you have to hold on that traction is like getting from zero to one is the hardest step. Once you're from zero to one, if you just keep grinding and keep working and keep refining your processes, you have a pretty high likelihood of being successful because it's just so hard for the people coming in later to get traction again or I I should say get traction in the first place. So having a sales first culture, uh, it's okay. You know, I'm sure you've seen this with developer town. It's okay to build the plane as you fly it. We had everything like we had a very simple home built CRM where we're using off the shelf uh, chat software for a while. And we developed software as we went, as the problem started to exist, we didn't, necessarily dump money into problems that didn't exist quite yet. We tried to be just in time with, you know, solving some of the software problems. I think creating, thinking about your startup as creating a market, as opposed to looking at what everyone else is doing and focusing on competitors. I think, you know, the ultimate competitor is the customer. If you focus on the customer and delivering great value and don't focus on what your competitors are doing is really important, especially early on, because it can look very daunting when you're first getting started. I think understanding, depending on where your market is, understanding scalability and niche markets uh, is a really important thing to consider. So in niche markets, which is an easier way to get traction is in these niche markets, they might buy things differently in each market than they do in others. So for instance, how plumbers, people who own big plumbing companies buy stuff is a little bit different than the way orthodontists buy things and really figuring out what makes the customer buy and really driving that is important. And I think this was a challenge that I had early on. Uh, You know, I listened to 
great podcasts and read great books about scalable sales. And sometimes in these niche markets, it doesn't work like the textbooks say. And there's more of an impact on influencer marketing and just getting the right marquee customers and getting them to uh, recommend your service. Uh, you know, that that is not traditionally what's thought of as a scalable sales or marketing strategy. Uh, but for these niche markets, if you get one marquee customer that sings your praises, that one marquee customer can result in you taking a few percent of market share because people really listen to them. And so I think understanding how buyers in these niche markets uh, make purchasing decisions. I mean, there's, there's a number of things. I, I think starting with a set of core values that you hold fast to, two of the core values for professional chats were do more with less and to drive your bus. So do more with less. I stole from Zappos. Uh, I think it's a, it's a phenomenal core value and it really helps define that startup mentality. And then we wanted people that thought for themselves and were good decision makers and didn't point fingers at other people because that slowed us down. And so that's, uh, I think it's Josh Gordon wrote a book, uh, wrote the book, uh, the energy bus and, uh, drive your bus is derived from that. We wanted people that took responsibility for their own actions. And so those are two core values. No matter what company I start in the future, uh, will be consistent and then building operational processes that are forward looking. So, you know, when you go from one to 10 employees in a year and, you know, you're growing at 10, 15% a month, you have to be thinking about, okay, we've got 10 employees now, but what does it look like when we're building this process if we have 100 employees? And designing the process for the time that you have 100 or 200 employees, even though you have 10 now. And I think if it's if you have a really quickly growing business, being very deliberate about the operational decisions and operational design is super important. I feel like I got more in that answer than what I bargained for. Thank you. That was good. <laughs> you <laughs> that covered a like lot of ground talk. there. Um, uh, talk about uh, are there are there you don't have to name the deals obviously, but are there any deals you're evaluating right now that you're really excited about? Yeah, there's a deal right now that I'm looking at. Uh, it is a technology company that helps doctors manage remote treatments um, and specifically for customers that make large purchase decisions that don't necessarily want to come into the office. Um, this helps doctors manage their treatment remotely. It benefits the patient because they don't have to be seen in the office and take time out of their day doing other stuff that they'd like to do. And it benefits the, uh, the provider because they can have better margins on the treatments that they're providing. And that has broad applications to different markets, but specifically for an industry that I know really well, like I said, orthodontics, for orthodontists uh, doing aligner treatments for patients, uh, or if they're checking retention, so making sure that the teeth are still straight or that they're checking an appliance. These are things that traditionally patients would have to come into the office to be seen by the doctor, but that really isn't needed. Uh, it's not necessary. And so this technology is helping doctors leverage the increased efficiency and make patients happier by doing these checks and other simple things that um, would have previously required them to come into the office, but now they're able to do remotely. And I think obviously with COVID, it has really opened people's eyes and 
open people's willingness to try technologies like this. And it's a really exciting time, frankly, for, for both customers and for providers, because people are just more willing to try something new. And sometimes in situations like this, what's new benefits both people. And it just it's existed in the past, but um, there's just been a lot less willing buy-in from providers. And so um, customers just haven't seen the benefit of it yet. Awesome. Love that. And you, you even already touched on what my next question was going to be, which is COVID impact. So that's great. Scott, if folks want to get in touch with you, uh, learn more about what you're doing with Black Bison Group, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Um, BlackBisonGroup.com. You can send a message through there. Alternatively, it's scott.hanson at blackbisongroup.com. And I'll go ahead and put a plug in here. If you know of businesses that are in this associated medical space that are either a software business that wants to grow and understand the market better or a service business that has a lot of opportunity for growth and already has a foothold in the industry, I'd be more than happy to, to speak with people. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.